How you guys doing today? Nice. <laughs> Josh. Anyway, uh, I can't help but see you really in when you, when you get your name said. So, hey, welcome to the remnant. My name's Todd. Did I already say that? Oh, good. So I don't have to say it again. Hey, AJ said it earlier. I actually think, I'm not entirely sure. Someone might help me here. It might be the second time, third time we've gone through this series. So it's one of my favorite series. I'm going to tell you right now, buckle up, because it's going to be a long one. So what we do here in the stories is we tell you the stories of the Bible. Um, now, here's the thing. You know what I've learned? We think we know them because we know the names. And then you start actually reading them, and you go, huh, what we think's been completely wrong. That's, my, that's, that's been the case for me many times. And so we, uh, we start at the Old Testament, somewhere in the Old Testament. So last year, I believe, for instance, we started right with Adam and Eve, right there in the garden. The most tragic story in human history. It really is. And moved all the way through to Jesus, and um, we're going to start that today. And it is going to be a journey. How long? Should I tell you? Is it worse to tell you how long? Are you excited? It's a long one. So stick around. Um, today, I want to talk about our story takes place pretty uh, soon after the events of the tragic story I just told you about. Now, before I tell you this, it's important for you guys to understand, and i got to break through your postmodern brain. Who's, raise your hand if you heard that. You college kids, you know all about postmodernism. Are we in post-postmodernism now? What's the, we don't even know. Yeah, we're in end of everything. Um, <clears throat> so what that means is we have a tendency to think that we're above the text. See what I'm saying? Like, oh, we look at these peons and their myths, right? And even within the faith, we kind of use it and read it as an allegory. Like it's, it's Aesop's fables, right? We're learning about Adam and Eve and a snake, right? And the snake looks friendly for some reason in the pictures that we see. Uh, the truth is these, these stories are real, and it's your history. And I can firmly say that in this case, this is all of our history. Every single one of our history, and it really happened. And just because our modern minds don't see things that happen this way anymore, I think a lot of that has to come with, with the way we view life and we explain things, but doesn't mean that it's not reality. You understand what I'm saying? And you've got to put that aside. See, here's the reality. We're Americans, which is a blessing. I'm not here to trash us, but we also can tend to be a little snotty. Like we have this tendency that we kind of understand everything, and that's how we kind of bring it and look at things, and that's not true. And um, we've, got to, we've got to understand that, that we're reading history, not stories. So that's the first thing. I want you to understand these were living, breathing people. Look around. Look around at your neighbors. I know you do it at your other churches. You shake hands. Let me tell you, shake hands. Look at people. All right, good. I've seen it because I went to a church a few weeks ago, and they made me shake hands with people. So look, look around. Just like those people next to you, that's exactly how they were, living, breathing, blood, flesh, hair, smelled bad sometimes, right? Hopefully not the person next to you. Anyway, that's, that's reality. And that's what we're going to pick up. And, and the saddest story in all the Bible, maybe second, because I think Jesus on the cross is pretty sad too. But one of the saddest stories, maybe the saddest still, is, is the story of the beginning. You know that God, you've heard, if you've been at the remnant, I say this almost every time I do the gospel presentation because I think it's important you understand that God did not create this the way that it is today. You understand that? This, this is, had we done it God's way, all the junk that you're dealing with wouldn't be there. And that's reality. He made it beautiful and perfect. And our father and mother, Adam and Eve, uh, were set for life. And all they had to do, it's a simple thing. It's not about a tree and it's not about fruit. At the end of the day, it's about who is God and who is not. God said, you can have all of this. I made it for you. Here's the one rule. I will be the one. You will come to me. I will walk with you. That was in there, right? I will walk with you and teach you and I will show you what right and wrong is. There was no wrong at the time. It was all good. But this knowledge that we didn't need because we have a relationship with our God who would tell us what was good we rebelled. They rebelled. And it began with a lie from a serpent. And the serpent is the same serpent as today, right? It's the enemy. It's Satan. The, the enemy took the form of a snake, something they would understand or have been familiar with to some degree. And he lied to them. But he lied to them with the truth. He took a truth and he twisted it very subtly. And that's what happens all the time. And it all boils down. You ready to the, for the question that affects your faith most often? I'm telling you the truth. Did he really say that? Did God really mean that? 
can I really trust him? And in that moment, in that tragic moment, when the father was looking for them, he knew where they were at, right? And he asked that question. Where are you? They hid. It says they looked down and the first negative emotion felt in humanity was shame. Isn't that funny? Shame. Shame that they were naked. And so God says, where are you? And then you guys know the deal. Adam eventually pops out from behind a tree or wherever he was. It looks so ridiculous in my mind. And then he does what we tend to do, men. And Adam, you're the head here. What happened? He said it was the woman's fault, right? That's what he did. Which, by the way, you still do, men. We still do that. And God said, he said, Adam said to them, we hid because we were ashamed that we were naked. And that heartbreaking question that's deeper than clothes, who told you that you were naked? Who told you to even feel that, to know that? And so we were cursed. Humanity's cursed. It's a natural consequence of the creation being away from the creator, right? The farther we get from the source, right? I'm not being a creepy metaphysical person here, but using symbolism that God is a source of goodness and truth and beauty and all those things. And the farther we get along, right, the more diluted it gets. And God said, I cannot be in relationship with you anymore. He could have destroyed them right then and there and said, I'm done with it, but he didn't. Why? What motivated him? It was love. The same thing that motivates him today. And the very moment that God set them on the course, he had a plan to bring them home, to bring us home. We'll talk about that later. But we have to set that up so you understand where we are today. The rejection and rebellion of Adam and Eve led to sin, which is both a nature, it's inherited. Sorry. The cutest little baby's got it in them. Okay? And it begins to grow, right? Isn't that funny? You know, right, moms? It's like, he's so cute. And then all of a sudden, he's punching you. And, you know, why'd he pull your hair for no reason? And why'd he chip your tooth with a Flintstone toy? That happened in my family with my little brother. Anyway, why did that happen? Where do they learn those things? It's inherent. It's in us. And then on top of that, out of that nature, we make choices, right? And those choices are poison. That's what they are. They're negative, and they tear us apart. And here's the thing. This sin, even then, one generation, Adam and Eve, and God sent them out and said, you cannot live in this place I've created for you anymore, but I will, (laughs) he made them close. Isn't that beautiful? In their nakedness and shame, he said, well, it said God himself made their clothes for them. That's incredible. So they're out, and Adam and Eve start to live the life that we have to live. That's why we got to get up early and go to work and all those terrible things we have to do. And their sin continued in the next generation, and it showed itself immediately, immediately. We would see the beginnings of the evil and tragedy of sin in this world within the very next generation. In fact, it happened with the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 1 and go through verse 16. I'll be reading from the HCSB. Also has become the CSB. If all these letters mean nothing to you, ABC, it doesn't matter. Okay? Here we go. Adam was intimate with his wife. I don't, need to, I don't need to go into detail, right? We know. Ashley, you need me to tell you? She said, anyway, no. <laughs> she goes, no, please. Yeah, Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. What a fascinating little statement that is, right? You know, part of the curse was that God had said to her that you will have pain in childbirth, yet the first thing she said was, this is a blessing. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. So one son, two son, three son, four. No, it's a song I was making up. Then she gave birth uh, to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd <laughs> of flocks. Brandon made me laugh. But Cain worked the ground. What, what, what does it mean if, if the, your job is to work the ground? You are a? Man, there's a lot of hesitation. It was like in school when everyone goes, what's two plus two? Four or five. What, what is it? What if you work the ground? You are what? Man, you're not confident. But yes, it is farmer. I think it's farmer. Yeah, farmer. He was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain, time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Hmm. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. 
but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. We're going to stop there for a second. Guys, I want you to jump down to the verse in Hebrews 11.4. You want to say, well, why did God reject Cain? Why did, that sounds mean. I'd be upset too. Here he goes. Go to Hebrews 11.4. says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now you understand what the New Testament says. It doesn't matter what you think. It's always been about faith. Always been about the heart. By faith, not by action, by faith, faith without works is dead. Theologians, stay with me. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, meaning at that time in the future, Abel was dead, he still speaks through his faith. He teaches us, even from the very beginning, by his faith. Why did God reject Cain's sacrifice? It was easy. Faith, his heart was not behind the offering. You ready for me to dig in here? You're going to like this, or you're going to love this. You ready? First sentence, it says it right there. Listen, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce. Now jump down to what Abel did. Abel also presented an offering, ready? Some of the firstborn of his flock. And their fat portions. To us, that's like, uh, why would he want fat? What do you think that was? That is what? The best portions. He gave him the best. And we see in there, and, we, and, and the wording is intentional. You know, you get the picture of Cain goes, oh, this is a good pumpkin. Put this aside. He'll be okay with this one. And it's that misshapen goblin looking one, right? You guys don't like pumpkins? That's fine. It was the heart. We see the level of their faith in what they were willing to offer. Isn't that so funny with our own lives? You'll see the level of your faith by the way you live out your faith. That's what James meant when he said, you say, you know, uh, faith is most important. I say, faith without works is. It doesn't mean you earn your way. It means you show your faith through your actions. Jesus said the same thing. He said it to the Pharisees when he was most mad. He said, I'm going to paraphrase, this is going to be up there. He says, you give a tenth, I'll put it in your words. You give a tenth of your income, but you neglect the greater things of the law, justice, mercy. That's a heart. You do the rituals, but you don't understand why. It's the same thing. Guys, this is so important as we go through the Old Testament. It isn't Old Testament book, New Testament book. Let's focus on the new. This is the one story of God's interaction with his creation from the beginning all the way to the end that's yet to come. That's reality. Well, that's the New Covenant, Old Covenant. Yes, thank God for the New Covenant. We're going to find out in a second. But the reality is, is that God's interaction with us has always been about faith. Will we reject what Adam and Eve did? Will we reject the choice to be separate, to be God? And will we put God where he belongs? Which, by the way, he's there anyway. It's just us pretending. Will we acknowledge him as God, as Lord, as Savior? Those are all three roles that you have to acknowledge him as. You know, some people say, I want to acknowledge him as a Savior. Of course you want to be safe from hell. Nobody wants to go to hell, but you don't want to acknowledge him as Lord. And some of us struggle we can say, I understand the concept of a boss, but I, I struggle with this concept of, of a savior sometimes, right? How can, how can, how can he save me from me? <laughs> it's got to be all of them, though. Moving back to the story, verse 5, guys, in Genesis. So we said he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Look at this next. Man, is this human or not? Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Interesting. He looked sad, but what was he really? Furious. I love this next section, guys. This is the type of stuff that we, we gloss over, okay? So he's already, we know God has said, something's wrong with Cain's heart. Right? He knows this. Look what happens next. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If what you did is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's the, this is a powerful sentence. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is a warning. Cain, 
listen, it's not you. I love you. Right? I'm paraphrasing. But you know your heart's not right. Get your heart right. Because if you don't, something's coming. It wants to eat you. But you have got to master it. He doesn't tell him not to have it. It's going to come. It's going to crouch at the door. It's going to happen. You're going to want to do things you don't want to do. You're going to feel things that you shouldn't. All this stuff. But this, that is so, so powerful. But you must rule. I love that word, over it. Not just like deal with it. It's cool. There's a beast outside. I just want to open the door. No, no. You must rule it. Master it. Now you understand in Romans when it says you are a slave to something, either a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. One or the other. Verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, so he walks away from God. God gives him a warning. You'll see the love of God soon. That was the love of God. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, this is premeditated by the way. And while they were, don't let anyone tell you this was passion, because it wasn't. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And so we have the first murder in human existence. Over what? A sacrifice. So we'll go to why did Cain murder Abel? We're going to jump to a verse in 1 John. God always answers the question. If you guys get confused, go to our, it'll be 1 John 3, 11, 12. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. I like this part. We should love one another. Beautiful. And then he compares it here. Unlike Cain, so stop. Go back to the verse. What was unlike Cain? Cain was not like what? Go back to 11, guys. 11 is, for this is the message you heard from Cain. We should love one another, unlike Cain. So Cain did what? Did not do what? Say it. He did not love his brother from the beginning. And what happened? Go on, guys, to 12. Thank you so much. Unlike Cain, he was of the evil one. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, that's a punch, man. Jesus says the same thing. Jesus tells the Pharisees at one point, he says, no, no, you are just like your father, Satan. He lied from the beginning and so are you. He hated and so do you. Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Well, I would never do that. You're never jealous? You're never jealous. You want to know how evil you are in your flesh? I'm not trying to, me I, I'm messing with you. You want to know how evil you are? Ask yourself, in and of yourself, by the way, you're not evil. In Christ, you're a saint. But your flesh, what would you do if you could get away with it? What would you do if you were jealous and can get away with it? Hmm. Now you understand the problem with us. Every one of your faces go, I can't read your mind, even though it feels like I can. I can't, I promise. Isn't that a weird thing? You're me like he's talking to me. I'm not. I have no idea. I wonder that about myself. How many times would I have hit someone? There were no consequences. I hit him once, right? Would I hit him again? Would I hit him with that baseball bat? Just once, right? I'm going to teach him. I mean, it sounds evil, but guys, it, that's how stuff happens. So what happens here? Jealousy hit his pride. Why is he giving him that? Look at my stuff. I worked for this. All he did was keep watch over some sheep. I had to toil. I, I, I. What I did was more. I deserve it. Right? That's what he thought. Right? How many times have you thought that? So jealousy hits his pride. What happens when our pride is get hit or gets hit? Very, very quickly, that turns to hate. And what happens when we hate? Well, listen. Hate leads to evil. Evil hates the light. Jesus tells us that. He says, you guys, there's some cool analogies, Jesus. The Bible compares us. It says, listen, you are a fragrant offering. You smell of life, right? That is a good smell to the living and a bad to the dying. They don't like it. They like it in the sense of like, I want it, but right? Jesus says what? Evil hates the light. They want to hide from it. They don't want it. They want to destroy it because it shows what? Their wicked deeds. When you compare yourself to a good person, you begin to what? Jealousy comes. Pride, anger. I'm not as good as. So sometimes, and this is, you can look this up. There's psychology of this. We want to destroy it. Evil hates the light. Hate wants to destroy what's righteous. You're back to that verse. Because his works were evil, jealous, prideful, hateful. 
and his brothers were righteous, and he couldn't stand that. Even though the father came to him and gave him specific attention, we have no, we have no idea, maybe he did, but it's powerful if he didn't. He didn't necessarily need to say anything else to Abel, right? Not that Abel probably cared because we assume Abel was just happy to give it to God. Abel could have been mad and going, well, I, my sacrifice is good. Why didn't you give me some one-on-one time? Instead, he went right to Cain and said, hey, 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 catch this. If you don't catch this, something's going to happen. Go back to the story. Starting in verse 9, Cain, so 8 said Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. In verse 9, this is, not, this is what we do too, guys. This is, reminds us very much of Adam and Eve, right? Right away, and we do it today. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? My brother's guardian? Imagine the audacity. Why are you asking me? I'm not his dad. What's that on your hands? Wine, right? Grape juice? I don't know. There's no sense of remorse here. There's no sense of, I feel bad. All we have is, is I don't know. How could they think God doesn't see that? We do. And my brother's guardian, verse 10, he says, Then he, capital H, that is who? God. Nice, Brandon. He's on it. Then he said, What have you done? There's another question here. He knows the answer. You understand that, right? God always knows the answer to the questions he asks. So who's the question for? It's for them. Yeah, me. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Oh, man, you ready for something horrifying? Imagine the God, the creator, who spins his son on his finger saying this to you. So you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Since you're banishing me today from the soil, and I must hide myself from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will just kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain that so whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence. That sentence right there. Gloss over it. Farther and farther we get from the Lord's presence. We were with him in Eden walking. Now I'm outside. He still comes to visit. Now I'm way over here. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. It's a weird word, isn't it? Let's talk about the curse real quick. He did curse him, same as the, uh, his mother and father. So his mother and father, he said to his father, listen, you're going to have to work hard to get to eat. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work the ground. You're going to sweat. You're going to get nicked with thorns. It's not going to be fun. You ever farm before? I bailed hay one summer with my buddy. He tricked me. He's like, would you come out and just bail some hay with me, man? You know, I'm, I'll give you, you know, give you 10 bucks out of what I get. And I was like, sure, buddy. You ever done that? It'll take a couple hours. He did this stuff all the time. Jeff Swihart, if you're watching, this is you. And he literally got me out there for eight hours at a time. It's, I don't remember how long I was out there. Miserable. It cuts you up. You, he fell off the wagon, though. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> it was really funny. I still laugh to this day. Oh, man. I'm enjoying that. Anyway, uh, it's tough work, right? That's part of it. That's part of the curse. Now, what's the next part of it? Now he says to Cain, he says, you're not even going to be able to do what your father could do. It doesn't matter how hard you work. Now you get nothing from the earth. So we put that in our language. What he said is you will no longer be able to live as a farmer. That's over. Nod. A lot of people have heard this. Nod can mean wandering. It's very close to the word for wandering in the language. Wandering. Wanderer. Right? So he may have just been saying, that's weird. He may have just been saying that he's wandering. Land of wandering. He's wandering around. But guess what? He doesn't stay wandering. He actually ends up creating the first urban area. The first city. Which, listen, society brings a lot of beautiful things, right? Being together, it does. But boy, some of these bigger cities, man, you kind of see what happens, right? And we also find out later on in Scripture that Cain's descendants became more and more evil. And most likely they were all destroyed in the flood. Finally, when God said, I'm done with it. So he is no longer to be a farmer. He eventually develops the first urban area and city. And on top of that, perhaps the worst part of the curse I just told you is he is even farther from the presence of God. What if you let yourself believe for a moment that this is not a fable, but this is a story that is real, right? It's a police report. 
We got a police report right here. So we're going to jump right to, I'm going to do this a lot with the stories, is what can we take from this story? By the way, before I go on, yeah, I can keep that up, guys. But this is important. Adam and Eve, the consequences of their sin didn't stop with them, did it? That's bad enough, right? You're going to hurt. You're not, you don't wonder. You know, we, we, don't, we don't know if they did, but it doesn't, their relationship was somewhat fragmented with the father. right? And on top of that, now their, two, their first two children, gone. You don't think they sat and thought, I did this. See, sin has a way of doing that. It tries to shame us, doesn't it? Tries to keep us in the place, make us believe that's the scariest part, that there's no way out. See, that's the danger with sin, guys. It's not just the thing, you know. It's not just the action. It's this lie that you're trapped in it. And the more we're trapped in it, the more we want to stay in it. The more we stay in it, the more hopeless we get. And the more hopeless we get, what? We stop caring, right? We become like Cain. Do you understand now why Jesus, he just if I stop now, but Jesus, that you don't have to stand before a holy God and have him say, look what you've done. I curse you. <laughs> so what can we take from this story? Number one, you guys have heard me say this a billion times. We see what happens when the creation tries to exist outside of the creator. We once again see, and this applies to you. When you don't follow the laws of God, when we reject and rebel, whether it's small or big, it leads to bad things. I could be more eloquent, but let's just go there. Bad things, right? I just told you a lot of it. Shame, hopelessness, depression, desperation. You can do some wild things when you're desperate. When do you get desperate? When you're ashamed and trapped, feeling crazy, alone, all these things. We see here the same story that we're going to see throughout the stories, <laughs> throughout the Bible and in our lives today. What happens when the creation... Look on the news. Today, it's the same message. Here's what happens when God's people decide, nah. Now it's gone so far that it's not, we don't just reject it. We say, you don't even exist. Imagine the audacity. It's probably worse than what Cain did. At least Cain addressed him. We just pretend he's there and we're like, you don't exist, loser. I heard recently, I don't care to say, it's political. There was a, uh, I'm not going to say the name, but you can look this up. I wish I could remember it. I'd probably say it because I don't care. But in, in the Senate, someone uh, stood up and tried to say, hey, you know, I feel like we're getting away from God's laws. A senator is pretty cool. You know, we were building this. And another guy said, this Senate doesn't care about the will of God. <laughs> That's recently. That's how far we've come. This, it's paraphrased, this Senate is not concerned with the will of God. <laughs> My good gosh, you will be. You will be. To stand in front of an almighty God and have the audacity to not only say you don't exist, but in this case, say, I, don't get, I don't care about your will. Mm. It's a scary culture, guys. I'm telling you, do not believe that America is Christianity. You understand what I'm saying? Do not believe that our culture is immune to the effects of a jealous God. God will not be mocked. That's a fact. We're seeing it today. And I'm sorry to scare some of you. And some of you, you, get, you don't even want to think about it. There's hope for us in Christ. But good gosh, guys, the last year, if it hasn't taught us anything, it's taught us what happens. What happens when panic happens and you really realize, I can't do anything. I can't even create a mask that fully stops this thing. Right? I'm serious. I can't even control this. I can't stop anything. I can force you to stay in your homes, and I can make you not go to restaurants, and I can make you put on masks, but I can't stop a virus. Okay, wait, we come up with this immunization. Okay, you're going to have to take it your whole life. We don't know if it'll work, but... The hopelessness of it. We are not God. It's a dangerous thing to pretend we are. Number two. Our heart matters more than the sacrifice we bring. That's a big one, guys. Listen. 
It's not going to be up there, but this is just some additions for your notes if you're note takers. Religion doesn't matter to God. <gasps> Dude, I immediately can just hear him. I can't believe you're saying that. Todd, you're just a postmodern hipster pastor. Hey, <laughs> Big surprise, I'm not cool. <laughs> so I'm not a hipster. Anyway. Religion doesn't matter to God, meaning the rites, rituals, and sacrifices mean nothing if our hearts aren't behind it. It's the same time that we see Jesus got mad really one time, really mad. And I've told you this many times. It's the Pharisees. And he kept telling them, he's like, you don't get it. Because they're like, oh, I do everything. I've got a long tassel, which means nothing to us except that was, a, that was a, the tassel was a sign of their faith. And I want to make it big, long, and gold, right? Because mine's 10 foot long and yours is only 8, so I've got 2 foot more of holiness, right? That's, that's, that's truth. That's what religion does. And God doesn't care about it. In fact, we, we see in Scripture there's, there's uh, implication that he is disgusted by it. It's always been about our hearts. And some of you in this room, that's a problem. You're saved, but you, you don't get it yet. You think that your sacrifices for people means you're owed something. Okay, you ready? If I love to get loved, what's my motive? If I serve to be acknowledged. You know, Jesus got down and washed feet. He didn't say, when I stand up, you better call me Messiah. Peter himself said, no. He tried to tell him, you ain't washing my feet. You better, he, it was, it's a pretty cool moment. He, again, this is Todd version. All right, but he pretty much said, hey, you better recognize right, who I am, and I'm doing this. Get what I'm doing. Some of you don't get that. A lot of your misery in your community, whether it's here at this church and other people, is you are doing things to get. You ready for a psychology? Who likes psychology? Anyone? There's something called a covert contract. Look it up. And a covert contract is something where I do something for you. And I, Okay, think of people in your life. They're mad at you all the time. You don't know why. It's because they have a covert con, and they're usually really nice people, right? And these nice people randomly spew out venom or kind of get snotty, and you're like, I don't understand. Well, it's because they're doing it, and they have this contract in their mind. It's like you had a contract with them where you say, I'm going to love you, Tim, and you will love me in return the same way. But they never told you the terms of the contract, and you never signed it. But they're holding you to it. People do that all the time. Look it up. There's actually a syndrome called nice guy syndrome. That's what they call it. There's a book on it. And the guy's not a Christian, but he's gathering something pretty deep. It's like if you try to do things just to get, you will be a miserable, angry person. Some of you in this room, I know this is a little aside. Are you doing stuff to get? There's nothing wrong with, with succeeding and wanting to do a good job. That's me. I'm, I'm with you. I want to do a good job. But when it comes to love and sacrifice and service, and do you do it to be seen? There's so many examples where Jesus tries to get us saying, listen, when you come to a table, we miss this in our culture today. Don't take the seat of honor. In fact, at other places, he said, give it to that poor guy. You go sit here. For even the Lord did not come to be served, but to serve, right? So many people, even in this room today, you're hurt and mad all the time because deep down, and Jesus loves you, goodness gracious he does, but you do to get. Until you stop doing that, you're going to be miserable because no one can make you feel good enough. Got to release that. That was a mini sermon. Moving on. He's interested in our hearts, guys. Number three, God is for us and wants good for us. Well, how can I say that? Remember what happened when Cain messed up. He came to him even then and gave him a chance. He said, don't do this. Right? He could have said, you little snot. Right? That's what I'd be tempted to do. Like, you little punk. That, some of you guys do that to me. Mm, basketball, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Nate does one of those twirly backs or whatever, and I'm mad, whatever. Anyway, yeah. You, God is for us and what's good for us, and he gives him a chance. Why? He didn't have to. He could This will blow your mind. He knew that Cain would reject it. That'll mess with your head. And yet he still offered. See, that's the thing about God. He knows, he knows what you're going to do, but imagine the love to say, I'm still going to give you the chance. It's crazy. God is for us and wants good for us. Don't forget that, guys. 
There will be times in your life, and we're going to get to this, where it feels like he doesn't want good for you. It'll feel like you make mistakes, and all he wants to do is hit you with the belt, right? Some of us, I've, I you know everybody's like, oh, belts? Yeah, I got that. I thought everybody did. Apparently that's not normal. <clears throat> right? Um, get, let me think of another word. Spank you. There you go. We call it whippings, right? You're getting whipped. That's what uh, we call it down south. I never heard of a spanking until I was like 18. And I was like, what is that, like a hug? Uh, anyway, uh, bottom line is God is for us and wants good for us all the time. He never stops wanting good for us. See, when I see things like this, I used to go, it's like I did with Job. I probably should do that again. I don't want to. You know, I preached on Job one time. You remember that? Yeah, and uh, my whole life fell apart, and I decided not to ever touch it again. I'm not kidding you. The craziest story in the world. It's called Dark Days of My Soul. And I went into the darkest days of my soul forever, for like forever. <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way. It was a long time. So if you've wondered, why does Todd never talk about Job? That's why. <laughs> um, yeah, but God is for us and what's good for us. You can see glimpses of God's love in every story in the Bible. You get the sense that he hates sin. We'll get to that. But he doesn't want to pour his wrath out. He doesn't want us to have to deal with the consequences of, of that sin. He doesn't. And even when we do, and this is the most beautiful part, he will always be willing to lead us home. Number four. Out of announcing something, I guess. Uh, this isn't, I already read this since. I kind of gave you a hint, but boy, this is powerful to me. It's desire for you. What was it? In the, sin. It's desire for you, but you must rule over it. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. There's a creepy thing here. I'm a words guy, so I catch little things. Its desire is for you. What does that mean? Mean? I sound like a, like a valley girl there for a second. No offense to valley girls. Anyway, what does that mean? I think it means everything. Consume you. Right? It's not, it doesn't say it's out for your bad or it's out to sting you or it's out to make you sad. No, it's out. It wants all of you. It wants to consume you. You know, Scripture tells us that the enemy, Satan, says he, can, he could not defeat the king. Right? So he got angry and tries to mess with his, his children. But he can't stop. Right? He can't stop the plan. He just makes you believe that. It's the same lie. Did he mean it? Does he really love you? Does grace really go that far? Yes. How far? Yes. It's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That's a powerful thing. Listen, you have the ability to not only push sin off, keep it outside the door, hide from it. No, you have the ability to rule over it. You are nothing. Get away from me. It doesn't feel that way sometimes, but it's the truth. Number five, it's the scary part. God hates sin. I want you guys to listen to this. God of storms and tsunamis and asteroids and COVID-19s and all the other scary things, right? COVID-19 is a product of sin, but you get my point. Bears and lions and tiger, oh my, you know, all that stuff. That God the sovereign God of the universe, the creator, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of angel armies, hates something. And he hates sin. That's cool, Todd. Oh, it's cool? It should make you shake. I've said this before. You know, we need to study old pastors and preachers. But there is an old, old Puritan. I believe it's Jonathan Edwards. I could be wrong. Some of you here. And he said, we are just what? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Well, that doesn't sound right. Yes, it is true. He compares us to a spider hanging above a fire on one little string of web, and that string is held up by God's grace. If he wanted to, we're scared of that fire and brimstone stuff sometimes, but sometimes to truly understand love, you have to understand your situation. God hates sin, sin brings God's judgment. Period. I'll say that again. God's sin brings God's judgment, period. It's just, you ready? It's not a matter of if, it's 
who will that judgment be poured on? Will it be poured on me or you or on Christ? On the cross. See, it's not, I don't believe in Jesus. Okay. You're going to believe in wrath. You're going to believe in judgment. That's real. And then when you understand that, you understand what Christ did for us. He took the wrath of God that was poured to be poured on me and you, on himself, so that you never have to. But don't fool yourself into believing that your sin didn't have wrath. It did. It was poured on the best man that ever lived. And that's why I put in parentheses, but Jesus. God hates sin, but Jesus. Number six, I hate this one. I literally hate this. I hate that this is real. There are consequences to sin. Man, sometimes you do stuff that's wrong. You know, it's like playing with fire. You might do it five, six, seven times, right? Russian roulette. But eventually, it's going to get you. You're going to get burned, absolutely. Natural consequences, guys. Natural, the consequences, you know, natural consequences, what's called. There's going to be consequences to sin, period. Nothing, I'm telling you, this sucks. It's not wrath, but, you know, if you drink and drive, if you, uh, I mean, we go on and on and on. If you murder someone, right, that's the big one. If you, there's, there's there's a consequence to even the smallest of sins. If you hate someone, it affects the relationship, on and on and on. There are consequences, and we see this in here. Cain did that, he ignored the warning, and then there were consequences to his actions. God's wrath was poured out on him. That stinks. <laughs> I almost said sucks, and then I just said it. Right? That's <laughs> Someone goes, ah, I am what I am. But number seven is also beautiful, and we see this in Cain's story. God is merciful and loving always. A lot of people don't see that in the story of Cain. I always come back to what I would have done and I'm, because I'm terrible. The temptation would be, well, first off, right, when he said, I'm a brother's keeper, I'd be like, really? Why don't you go get a switch, right? Another southern term, if you don't know what they are, they're branches, okay? Because <laughs> if you bring a small one, then they just keep twisting them. Anyway, my mom's mad at me now. She never did that. <laughs> God is merciful and loving always. He could have destroyed Cain. He could have said, that's it. You don't get to wonder. You die. Some people go, well, that would have been a better fate. Come on. You say that until the moment you got to choose between living and dying. God's love motivates his actions. That's why the idea that, you know, God, the idea that why would God, you know, send people to hell for eternity? That's such a foolish statement because he doesn't. He gives you a way out and you ignore it. It's not that you're a good person and then he's like, you did something wrong. It's you're a terrible person. But, well, I'm better than him. It doesn't matter. Christ is here. You're here. And even the good people are here. You, you are not good enough. God is merciful and loving always. That's so good, man. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope that even before Christ... Even before Christ, he was still just giving chances out, man. Giving chances and giving chances. See, I wonder sometimes if the church misses that today. We, we, we don't really listen to Jesus. Seventy times seven is too many times. We'll settle for like three. Two strikes, right? That's what we've done. Hey, listen, he's on his third strike. <sighs> man, I'm on my like 7,000th. He's merciful and loving always. So what does that mean? If you who are in the eyes of God through Christ are a saint, perfect and holy, how do you think he feels about you when you mess up? You think he's mad? That'll mess with you. You think he's mad at you? How can he be mad at you if he sees Christ? He don't like your sin, but it's no different than when your kid, you know, I was going to say the most ridiculous analogy, and I'm so glad it didn't involve poop. But I said it anyway, right? You stick your finger in a light socket and you're like, why do you keep doing Remember my story if you were here about me touching the lighter, right? That's such a ridiculous thing. And I'm sure my dad was like, why? Well, I told you. Like, I mean, it's, I showed my intelligence that day. Red. God is merciful and loving always. Listen, she's going to come play some music. And I want you to think about the story 
of Cain and Abel as not a fable, but reality. And why did God include it in, in his history? Well, I think there's a lot. I mean, there's tons more, guys. But even those I gave you is enough for us to take some stuff home. Right? Now, I'm going to scare some of you for a minute. But it's only because there's good in it. All right? Because I'm scaring myself. Listen to me. The fall into sin and destruction is a slow fade. Okay? And it begins in the heart. It does. We see that. He didn't jump out and just murder him like right away, right? It starts in the heart. The flicker of pride. How dare you? How offendable are you? Are you easily offended? Where do you think that comes from? The flicker of jealousy, that flicker of desire, it can become something darker. But we aren't slaves to it. God's desire is for our good. And, and here's the beautiful thing. We know this, that God has equipped us to do every good thing and also to rule over sin. You're equipped to do that. So you might be stuck in a pattern right now that says, I just can't stop. I want to. Guys, don't let anybody tell you. I, you know, people are afraid to say this to some of you, and there's a lot of saints that are struggling under weight because we're afraid that there's devils in the crowd that are going to take advantage of it. But if they do, they do. They're going to anyway. So I say this to the saints that feel like, you know, I've done this over and over. How can I still want God? How can I be good when I keep choosing to do these things, right? How can I do it? Well, I get it. It's like sometimes being in quicksand. Don't let anyone make you doubt who you are in Christ just because of a, of a struggle. Yes, it's serious. Yes, you should stop. Yes, sin is dangerous. You know it, right? You're living in misery. But he hasn't stopped loving you. He didn't stop loving Cain. You're equipped. You can get out of it. Is it easy? Usually not. Is it possible? Absolutely. Now here's what I told you earlier. Are you ready? Some of you, it's going to hit you right away. It's not me, because I don't know anything about your lives. How many of you that are following Christ have been acting like a cane? You just haven't killed someone yet that we know of. Don't, don't tell me. How many of you have been acting like a cane? I do sometimes. It doesn't usually come out. Mine doesn't come out like I want to hurt them, but I'm like, I will take my love away. Right? It's the same thing. Well, I'm not hurting them. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Is that the heart of Jesus? Goodness gracious, no. Imagine if he took his love away every time someone irritated him. Have you been acting like a king? Listen, we can be thankful that through Christ. Even if you have been, you will never, you're never sent away. <laughs> that makes me want to cry just saying it. You're never sent away. He doesn't send you wondering. You're already home, right? He is always with you. He is never getting rid of you. You aren't cursed. Sometimes it can feel like it, right? Sometimes those consequences of life, those natural consequences, feel like life has ruined. That isn't true. He is in the habit of taking ugliness and making beauty out of it. That's what he does. I don't know why. I think he likes to show off. We need to be reminded of who's God and who's not. That's the way I view it, right? Well, Todd, what do you do? I think he likes to show off because I know how bad I am. So any good I have is not me. We can be thankful that through Christ we're never sent away from God, but he's always close and ready to restore. He loves you even today. You can stop being a cane right now. Right now. And even if you are being a cane, he ain't going to quit warning you and telling you. Put your faith in Christ. Now, that being said, some of you in this room, you're in trouble. Because remember that wrath thing I told you about? It's there. The Bible says it's being stored like it's ready to overflow. Your wrath. I'm pretty good. That's cool. Well, you can only, you know, let me give you a scenario. How about instead of 100 bullets, I only shoot you with 98? It still ain't pretty. So, it doesn't matter if you're better than me, if you're two bullets better or four bullets better or whatever else. At the end of the day, it doesn't end well. The beauty of the gospel is, and I don't need to tell you it all, is that in the midst of all this ugliness, in the midst of this brokenness, in the midst of the fact that we constantly pull away from him, he does this incredible thing. That God, while we've been wandering away from him, while our culture is falling apart, has said, I will make a way for you to come home to be restored to me, and that's Jesus Christ. 
came down in the form of man. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He is God made flesh, lived a perfect life. The perfect life we didn't live, couldn't live, and told us how to live, and then did something crazy. He gave us the benefits of his perfect life, took the benefits of our terrible life and sin, and then taught, equipped us to then live the way we're supposed to live. It's an incredible deal, right? It's like McDonald's, except way better, right? It's the best value meal in the world. <laughs> See what I did? Culturally relevant. Anyway, God loves you guys. If you're in the room today and you don't know Christ, all jokes aside, the wrath is there. But today, you know what's happening? Just like Cain, he's saying to you, hey, hey, listen to me. Listen to me and come home. Accepting Christ means rejecting yourself, confessing that you're a sinner. I am broken. I am this. And I accept it, Jesus. I accept what you did for me. I put my faith in you. The Bible says if we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Well, I don't know how it all works yet. I, again, did we stutter? It's right there. Because what he'll do is he'll equip you with something. It's going to sound crazy and supernatural. It is. It's a Holy Spirit. It's a guide. It's a counselor. And he will slowly teach you and show you through his word and through the spirit how to be just like him. It's an incredible thing. He never lets go ever, ever, ever. So if you're in this room today, there'll be people up here willing to pray with you about anything, whether you're that king, whether you feel like you're in that cycle of, of fear. Guys, I've been there. Man, you can't get out. You, you feel trapped. Gosh darn it. I, that, that's, that you want me to be, you want to see Todd go insane? Trap me. I'm serious. Trap me and I will go insane. And I still, when I feel that way, I've got to be reminded I'm not trapped. And maybe that's what you need today. Maybe you need to be praying with someone and say, man, I just feel lost. That's what they're here for. Or if you're in this room, and this has happened multiple times, I was you. If you don't know Christ, why don't you come up today, walk 50 feet for a chance, no, not a chance, for an assurance of eternity, all right? Whatever you do, don't leave here the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.